1: Well, hello there. Thank you for checking out season two of the Wardrobe Boss Podcast. I'm your host, Eliza Perilla. I am a personal wardrobe stylist and a skilled home organizer, and I am the wardrobe boss. I enjoy whipping wardrobes into shape through curating styles, collections, and clients' closets, and making it easy to get dressed for life every single morning. Mm -hmm. That's what I do. So uh, today, my guest knows all about styling people. However, she does it through fine jewelry and I'm so happy and I've been excited since yesterday to talk to Kat McCoy who owns a company called best cap cat helps clients choose custom jewelry pieces that complement their life by matching their preferences taste and style to the jewelry designs of their dreams so cat welcome to the podcast thank you so much for being here thank you so would you consider yourself first of all I think what you do is so unique and so cool because for me, wardrobe, I guess to me, it comes easy. But jewelry, especially fine jewelry, is really a whole different ball game. So do you consider yourself a jewelry stylist? In some
2: respects, I often describe myself as a cross between a personal shopper for fine jewelry and a private jeweler, as I also help people make custom pieces as well. Um, some of my longer term clients where we're really building their jewelry, collection uh, and thinking
1: about what's in their jewelry box, I would say that's probably more on a stylist uh, level. All right. So, you know, jewelry is one of those things that it's really personal and you are in the business of making the process of buying jewelry easy and stress-free. Tell me about your company and about how you do that.
2: Absolutely. So I've always loved jewelry. Um, my maternal grandmother in particular had an amazing collection. Um, and it was something that she would gift us, you know, expensive, not expensive pieces. So I've always loved jewelry and felt connected to it. It's also one of those things that as a woman, you know, you can relate it. It fits whether or not you're at your goal weight, whether or not you're 10 pounds over. So from that perspective, um, you know, it's one of the great accessories. But after I got my first big promotion at school, um, after school, I wanted to buy myself a heavy gold bracelet and I researched maybe tens of hours and I realized, you know, I couldn't possibly be the only person on product page 480 of 9,000. And I felt like the process of buying jewelry was confusing, intimidating, you could go into a store um, and feel like you're not supposed to be there or like there was limited product and online there was way too much. And I had this thought that if you could curate the universe down and make people feel like they weren't going to get it wrong, that a lot more people would sort of take that leap and buy a great piece.
1: That's an excellent um, answer. You know, just last Friday, true story, I um, was with a client and I said to her, I said, you're missing the thing that we're missing now from your wardrobe is some jewelry. And I mm. know she's a person who she's not the kind of person who will wear costume jewelry. Maybe she will, but I don't think so. I think she's the kind of person who would just like classic good pieces of jewelry that are, it's like life jewelry, right? That you can wear it for your life. And she said, Eliza, I don't know what to do. And I said, I gave her an assignment. I said, uh, I gave her a homework assignment to research what does she think she likes about jewelry and what does she think she doesn't? Because it, it's a fine process. and." I am not a jewelry designer. And so i that's one recommendation I don't make to my clients because I think jewelry is very personal. And you know, I think if you buy jewelry, it should be jewelry for life. And um, so anyway, that's an assignment I gave to her. I'll get back to you on process of that, or maybe I'll just enroll you in our process altogether. And another thing that you said, And I hear so much, Um, whether it's fine jewelry or costume jewelry, a lot of my clients have jewelry that have been handed down from grandma or mom. And what they do is they're so intimidated by the jewelry, whether it's fine or it's not, that it sits in a beautiful box and it's never worn. And so now I have to come in and say, no, wear this. Like she wants you to wear it. She doesn't, she wouldn't want you to have it sitting in a box the purpose that she saved it all these years and this is like heirloom jewelry is so that someone else can enjoy it that was the reason that she invested in it because she loved it but she wanted her family to enjoy it and i think that for some reason i feel like everyone's a little bit intimidated of jewelry so Mm. like we don't want to talk about it like jewelry especially fine jewelry Right. And then some people feel guilty if they own a Cartier watch, which I think is ridiculous. If you worked for it, if you bought it, if you inherited it, it's yours that you don't have. To, I don't see the need to be ashamed because you have right, a Cartier watch, whether you worked for it or it's a, a family heirloom. So, yeah, I really like that you said that because jewelry is a personal process. So when when people meet with you, I'm sure there's a long consultation. Like, how does that go? Because even recommending pieces, it's so hard. Absolutely. So I couldn't agree with you more.
2: You know, something I say at least once a day is jewelry is meant to be worn. And I think one of the things, particularly coming out of the pandemic, is I certainly do some very you know high end black tie pieces. But by and large, the things that people are sourcing are things that they want to wear every day um and i think that's been sort you know across the industry sort of um a big thing in terms of the consultation it's a very sort of personal and intuitive process. So learning to ask the right questions has been a huge part of my development as a salesperson and as a jewelry stylist. One t- thing I'll typically ask is that they send a picture of themselves or whoever we're shopping for. I'll ask for them to send me a picture, just whatever there is on their phone, of a picture of the person dressed casually and a picture of the person dressed up to go to a wedding. Sometimes just having one or two visual references gives me a general you know, energy about the person or just sort of their vibe. If we're shopping for uh, yourself. I'll also ask you to send me a couple screenshots of things that you've seen that you really like. Um, if there are any brands that you like, all of that information is really important and, and really helpful. And often if if a person really doesn't know where to start, I'll ask them to go through my Instagram and just take a few screenshots of things that they like, whether or not it's appropriate for this particular piece that we're sourcing. Usually it's just one or two little visual inputs gives me an idea or gives me some sort of place to start. But, you know, I, I say all the time, what I do is not driven by an algorithm. It's very intuitive. It's very personal. And uh, it takes a lot of time uh, to, to really get it right and, and find uh, options that not only are beautifully made, but also really align with the style of whoever we're shopping for.
1: And I think Instagram has played such a huge part in that because there are so many jewelry designers on Instagram. So you really have a place to shop kind of like a one-stop shopping. Even if you're just browsing, right? It's such a like non-intimidating browsing that you can do. And um, especially when they put the price points, because you know what you want to spend. So I think it's like, yeah, let's be transparent about this. I think that is something that's great um, about Instagram. Kat, you went from, and correct me if I'm wrong, but um, from the information I got, you went from the financial district to the diamond district. And I have to be honest and say... I am a native New Yorker. I don't even like walking down West 47th Street. I don't <laughs> I'm going to get caught up in a jewelry heist right simply by walking down that block. And then it was just two weeks ago I was walking down that block and there was like one sketchy character after another and you know there've been so there've been like legendary stories in New York. There was a Christmas one where they held up the diamond district and nobody knows and they got away, you know, and that's real. When you walk through the diamond district, you know that's real. And I think people have this idea in their head because of Cardi B song, Diamond District in the Jag. No, it's not that sweet like you're rolling through the Diamond District in an open jag. Yeah, I don't that doesn't work like that. So uh my question to you is how did you build relationships in the diamond district? Uh did you know people there?
2: I didn't know a soul in the jewelry business. And, you know, to be honest, building up my network on the supply side was probably the most challenging thing about starting the business and something I invested, you know, 75% of my time on in the first year or two. The Diamond District is absolutely a trip. It is a strange wonderful place. Mm -hmm. I found, you know, I learned early on that, to put it simply, money talks. So, to the extent you can reach out to someone with a client already in mind, or you know, I would like to buy this specific piece, or I'm interested in a piece like this, then you can start to get traction and really build a relationship. When I would go in and say, "Hi, my name is Kat McCoy. You know, don't I have a cute service?" then it was really hard to connect with that person and really actually build a relationship. Um, So there were a few times where I bought a small piece um, just to you know, even without a client lined up just to build the relationship. And again, it doesn't need to be a crazy expensive, but just to sort of start to do business and um, and put your money where your mouth is, I think means a lot, particularly on 47th Street, between 5th and 6th. I would also say as I started to meet one or two people, um, you know, Find a mentor or two. To the extent that you can be introduced to people, particularly on the production side, that's really important. So you can, you know, maybe wander into a building and ask around and find someone who can polish your piece of jewelry, but you really want to be introduced to someone who is known, to be honest, who's known for great work. It is really the actual uh, different tradespeople that you work with that you really want to be introduced to because and listen most of the people I work with are on the 14th or 15th floor, sixth or seventh floor, so you can't just walk in and find them. And uh, no, you're exactly right. It is a it is a crazy place, but it's been really fun to uh, to really learn as I go.
1: Yeah, that's why I wanted to know because I was like, all right, she went from the f- you know financial district, which is all you know, so polished, right? (laughs) Then you go to the diamond district, which is so rough around the edges. And it's true. If you don't know people, then how do you navigate the diamond district? You know, one thing that I found really interesting is that I don't remember, oh, Uncut Gems with um, Mm. Adam Sandler, that film, a lot of the people from the diamond district in the film were real people who are known in the Diamond District. And I was so fascinated because I was like, oh my gosh, there's so-and-so and there's so-and-so. And then they'd go into a restaurant. I'm like, wait a minute, why does this scene look familiar? And it's like, oh, because that's the real maitre d' from that restaurant, which I thought was a great thing to do in that film because people thought that was acting. No, those are the real wheelers and dealers of the Diamond District. And I thought that was like, just so dope.
2: <laughs> you know, it's so funny that you bring up uncut gems. Just about everyone you meet on the street will be able to tell you exactly where you were, where they were when um, they looked up and saw Adam Sandler out the window of one right. of the buildings. Um, so everybody who was in their office that day will tell you, from whatever vantage point they were, they remember looking out and going, "Is that Adam Sandler hanging out of a window?"
1: <laughs> That's so awesome. That's awesome. What is your process of recommending pieces to a client?
2: Uh, you know, it always starts with a consultation. Um, so we'll hop on the phone together and get a good sense of what you're looking for, who we're shopping for, what their style is, what they wear every day, what they're drawn to. Um, we'll also establish the, the budget that you're uh, looking to buy a piece in. And then, um, as I mentioned before, typically I'll ask you to send me a few photos of jewelry or a few photos of yourself or the person we're shopping for. And once I feel like I really have my marching orders, I will go out and curate anywhere between three to five really beautiful options within your budget for you to uh, choose from for each of the recommendations I include pictures and particularly pictures on the body because there's nothing worse than buying a pair of earrings and thinking they're a two inch drop and they're really studs. So pictures I think are incredibly important and then I'll also include like a little blurb on why I think this is a great choice for Eliza or why I think that this is you know the perfect piece for whatever occasion. So it's a very very personal document. Uh, my favorite is particularly a lot of my male clients will sort of parrot some of the things I put in the document when they give it to their their spouse. So they'll say things like, "Oh, I knew you'd love these because the the blue sapphire's match your blue eyes or um I really like to sort of pick up on small very personal details because the story of a piece or the meaning behind a piece I think is just as important as how beautiful it is or how well made it is. In terms of my process for the curation, um it really depends on what we're looking for. You know, I had a consult this morning for a woman who wanted a diamond eternity band. Um, and the move for that is going to be to figure out her ring size, figure out what size stone she wants, and then find the best price. So that's a very difficult, you know, different process than I want to find a really special necklace for our 10th anniversary. I'm not really sure where to start. So on the latter, where it's more sourcing and gifting, um, sometimes I'm behind the computer researching like a maniac back in the old days. Other times I'll have some sort of inkling and want to call up a vintage dealer or a designer. Sometimes I'll go shopping in person. So as I said, it's a, it's a very manual process and each, each project by and large is, is pretty different.
1: Now jewelry, buying fine jewelry can be intimidating. Even for me, I've never been a fine jewelry person unless it was gifted to me. I don't think I've ever went, I can't even remember time that I went and said, yeah, I want this. And you know, for me, I think if I'm going to buy fine jewelry, then it's like, okay, I've been looking at that watch for this amount of time. I want one like that kind of, so That so that's how I would do it. So what are your price? I'm not, well, I don't want to ask what your price points are, but Can anybody come to you? Like who can come to you? Right. Because we're talking fine jewelry. So let's call it what it is. Right. But what price range can people come if they're like, well, I want a bracelet, but I don't want to spend more than $2,000 because that can get intimidating. And people can say, well, I don't want to see Kat because she probably only does, you know, $9 million bracelets or $9,000 bracelets. Right. So. No, what a great question. So. You know, I like to say that
2: I really specialize in milestone occasions, so whether that's an engagement or a 20th anniversary or a graduation. Um, I'm probably not your go to person for a really thin and delicate $400 necklace. Um, just because again, the amount of time that it takes to really curate the options. Um, my minimums on the sourcing side start at $2,500. Um, my engagement rings start at $10,000. Um, so I really do like to, to work across a, a wide array of price points, but I do work in, you know, 14, 18 karat gold, platinum, all real gemstones and diamonds. So I recognize that my service maybe isn't for everyone or it's not for every jewelry purchase. But when you're looking to really nail it, or um, if you really want to wow someone or really mark an occasion and you want to get it right enlisting listing my services, I think is a great way to go.
1: Especially for a lifetime piece, right? So the thing with engagement rings, this is what I think, right? Like if I did what you did, I would be nervous every time a man came to me for an engagement ring because a man has an idea of what he wants to get, but then the woman may not like that. So how on God's green earth do you navigate that? (laughs) You know, what a great question. And I have
2: to say engagement rings are far and away my favorite part of the business because I find that I can... Really guide you through the process from beginning all the way through. You're ready to propose. I would say, and I think a lot of this honestly has to do with the proliferation of Instagram. But nowadays, because, you know, proposals are so public and people kind of see what the ring looks like, I feel like the importance of the engagement ring has become, um, even, even more. And so I would say by and large, nine times out of 10, a client has either tried on rings in a retail store with his bride to be, his or her bride to be, or she has told her sister or mum or best friend, fairly specifically, at least the diamond shape. To your point, I, I'm often very uncomfortable. If uh if she hasn't dictated at least the shape of the diamond that she wants to go for. So actually, what's become so much more popular is um oftentimes both the bride and groom or two grooms, two brides, they'll both kind of attend the appointment and be involved. And so that's become a little bit more popular as well. But, you know, it is absolutely one of those things where I think it's really important to honor what the person who will be wearing the ring wants, because ideally, you know, she's wearing it every day the rest of her life.
1: Yeah, I agree. Like if he's like, well, my mom had a round and I always liked that ring. And she's like, well, I don't want a round. I want an emerald cut. Right. And then, so it is important that she gets what she wants. I'm just curious, what is in for you? Because I I have a, a client who owns a jewelry store and I ask her this too. What is the most popular cut for engagement rings like right now in this current season? Right
2: now, I would say ovals have become incredibly popular. Um, they have that sort of round, perfect symmetry like a traditional round brilliant would, um, but they elongate the finger. They always make the finger look very sort of thin and feminine. Um, so oval diamonds have become very, very popular.
1: Wow, that's, I would have never thought that. And I, I would never even imagine that they make the ring finger look longer. So that is pretty interesting. What are the three most important things to know and why when shopping for an engagement ring?
2: My best piece of advice for shopping for an engagement ring, and uh, this is in particular for a custom-made ring where you're sourcing the diamond and making the setting, is to find someone you like, someone you want to work with, and someone you trust, and then actually sharing your real unedited budget with them. I find that someone really talented and honest is, you know, they're going to show you a stone that might have, you know, if they applied their regular margin, might have been slightly over your budget, but they'll sneak it in just under because they want to make you happy. The really honest, talented people want to also um, make your wedding bands and they want to do your 10th and... 15th anniversary gifts. Um, so working with someone you trust by sharing your actual budget and not hedging, I find that from a value perspective, um, you're going to get way better value just by sort of sharing where you really are. So I would say that would be one really important thing. Uh, to the points that both of us were just making, the engagement ring is the one piece of jewelry where you really have to honor what the bride-to-be wants or whoever you're shopping for. That, you know, I think other gifts it can be quite romantic, that element of surprise. But when it comes to an engagement ring, 99 times out of hundred, people have an idea in mind of, of what they really want to wear. Um, and the last piece would be um, I would be wary of buying a diamond online. Even if the diamond has a certificate to the extent that there's a jeweler you trust, or even, you know, find me cat at send me the certificate, you know, if a deal looks too good to be true, Oftentimes it is. A diamond itself is an optical illusion. So even a diamond that is perfect on paper, you could have a flawless diamond, but if it's not cut nicely, it's going to look terrible. So um, to the extent that you can see a diamond in person before purchasing it, um, I think is very, very worthwhile. Uh, because of the pandemic, I've done a number of appointments over Zoom. And so I will be in the room looking at diamonds. I'll send you tons of videos. But even then, most of the time, my clients are looking to me to be able to tell them what I really saw in person because um, know even if you have the latest iphone a video is never going to really capture the beauty um or special special part of a diamond
1: absolutely and and i would definitely add to that that when you ask you know when you want something super personal especially like a piece of jewelry i always tell all of my clients this you've got to have that lifeline person that's connected to your husband that's connected to the person who wants to buy it to you and i always tell my clients Give me your wish list. Give me the thing you won't buy for yourself. Because when your husband comes and asks me, What do you want? I can say, This is what she wants. And you should always have that. And you should always have that person that you trust infinitely with the instructions of, This is what I want, this style, this make, this model, this shape, everything, so that that person brings to your Um, your significant other, exactly what you want. You've got to be as specific as possible because things get lost in translation and you've got to take that into account. Um, It's super important. And the, and the person buying for you wants to get you what you want. So, you know, it works both ways, right, Kat?
2: Absolutely. There's something about buying another person a piece of jewelry that is so vulnerable and oftentimes the majority of my clients who come to me, you know, I ask, have you bought her a piece of jewelry in the past? And they say, well, the last three times I struck out, she returned it or, you know, just sits in her jewelry box collecting dust. Or I overheard her on her on the phone to her sister saying it wasn't really what she wanted. And so I think that there is something, there is a leap of faith. in And it's a very romantic gesture to say this would be beautiful on you or I want you to have something very special. And so I, I, I take that very seriously.
1: Yeah. And you know what, Kat? I see that. I see women that they're like, my husband bought me this. I don't know how to wear it. Well, I don't really like it. And since it was three years ago and you didn't rectify it then, now I'm trying to find ways to incorporate it into their wardrobe so that their husband sees it. Because a husband wants to see you wearing it, not it in the drawer. I mean, he got it so that you can enjoy it. And then the person's like, well... I don't really know how to wear it. It's not really my style. But I said yes. Well, then wear it. If you said yes, then you're gonna have to, you know, go with the whole thing. Rock out. Wear it. What, what are you gonna do? <laughs> you know what you
2: described? I think is so complicated because as the person receiving the thing they didn't like very much, you feel like you weren't seen or like they don't get you. And for the person who who took a swing and tried to get you something, they feel rejected. So I, I hear you completely, and I would say that that's one of the first things I usually hear from a particularly a male client is you know i haven't bought her a piece of jewelry
1: in years because the last time i struck out and it was just uh, you know no fun and for men i really have to say this and i say this in love and i say this from experience know what she likes before you buy it do not assume that because you like it or it's your style or she liked it on her neighbor that she's gonna like it on her sometimes us women say oh my gosh it's beautiful we mean it's beautiful but it's beautiful for you it's not beautiful for me so make sure you know what your woman really likes and that you pay close attention to that because you are going to be disappointed and you are going to feel like a failure and you're not you're not your heart is in the right place you're doing the right thing um i but i would definitely say please do your research because You're not going to be happy and she's not going to be happy. And that's not the point of it. So I'll say that. And you know, Kat, one thing that I know is that people who buy custom anything they tend to be super finicky and they think that because they can buy anything custom that they have the right to change their mind every five minutes or, you know, there's all kind of stuff that comes with that. I You know, I know how it works. So have you ever made a piece that a client didn't accept after they agreed? And then how did you navigate that if, if that's ever happened to you? No, absolutely. The custom process,
2: you know, and managing client expectations is so important and something, you know, I think you have to make a few mistakes to, to kind of, um, to properly learn. Um, I have, you know, I'm very proud to say I have like a 0% return rate. I'm really something custom. It's understood that you can't return it. I would say by the time the piece is finally made, I haven't had some really bad outcomes. But I think the process can sometimes go awry if, um, to your point, if you want to micromanage or control every minute, small detail, it's going to be really challenging for me to provide my expertise and for me to do my thing. So I have found that my best clients typically um, give me plenty of direction so that I can really deliver on what they're asking for, but also give me enough space to kind of do the thing that you hired me to do and, and do my thing a little bit. There are times when people purely want to price shop and they just want to find the best deal possible. And I completely understand that. Um, that's just not something that you would enlist a jewelry concierge to, to do for you. So I think I've gotten much better at reading the room in the, the consult for lack of a better term. And if it becomes apparent to me that really all you're trying to do is, um, is price shop or find the, the cheapest deal possible, then I'm very able, you know, that I'm easily able to point you in the right direction and say, listen, you know, for your, dollar for dollar, this is the place I'd send you. This project probably isn't the right thing for me. And I think having the confidence to step away from a few projects because it's not a good fit. Honestly, I just bring such a better, more positive energy to the clients that I am working with.
1: And, you know, thank you for answering that question, because the truth is that if you have not experienced that, that really speaks volumes to the way that you do business and to the integrity level of the way you do business. So that is really good because, you know, that does happen sometimes. And you're right. It is really managing those expectations. Even if you have to say, I I get what you want. I think you're great, but this is not what I do. And, you know, I'm not the person for you. I've had to do that, too, because I don't I never deal with a person who wants to lowball me, because if you're trying to lowball me out of the gate, that's what you're going to keep doing. And, you know, what people need to understand is that what you do is not only a one time engagement ring or one time jewelry piece. People want to once they can trust you with one big thing. Now they want to come to you all the time so that you can help them and you know many people i can think of three of my friends they started out with an engagement ring or they started out with a certain wedding band and then 10 years later upgrade and then the next 10 years upgrade so there's always going to be the husband's going to want to upgrade his band the woman's going to want to upgrade her rank there are those milestone jewelry pieces so you know having the relationship with you is so important because something is simple at well, it's Emeralds are not simple, right? But people might think emeralds are simple and you have to walk them through the process of just because that stone is clear doesn't mean it's the best stone. And this might be the absolute best stone in the world of emeralds. There's only this many, but it's cloudy, right? So there's so many factors that go into to what you do. Now, I'm sure that with... Everybody trying to be more conscious of sustainability and everything that's going on. I assume that you work with conflict-free diamonds and that certifications come with that. And how many people ask you about this? Like what percentage of your clients are like, hey, I want the diamond, but I got to make sure it's conflict-free. I don't want blood diamonds.
2: Absolutely, I would say that question comes up more and more. Um, And so, for some people who are very concerned about that, particularly on the environmental side, they'll often, you know, ask a number of questions about lab-grown diamonds, which is a super interesting conversation. Um, You know, I hope that we'll have another time. In terms of conflict-free diamonds, now, I would say it's actually, um, I've learned that it's a major misconception that there are so many um, sort of blood diamonds in circulation right now. You know, by and large, for an engagement ring, I would only recommend a GIA-certified diamond. Um, and so you're able to trace that diamond back to the actual mine that it was mined from. And so um, there's so much more accountability because, you know, ideally you do want a stone that is uh, certified.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Um, what are the advantages of a custom design jewelry piece besides the fact that it's uniquely designed for whatever person?
2: Um, You know, I think from a a very practical kind of wearability standpoint, um, I have some clients who have very small wrists, and so they want to make sure that the bracelet is going to fit properly or that it's not going to wiggle around or a stone's going to come loose. So there are some um, considerations when it comes to just overall wearability. Um, And then another nice thing about a custom piece is it feels special or there's often an opportunity to really personalize it. So whether that's engraving or using a certain birthstone, um, there's a way to um, put your sort of personal mark on it and sort of take it over the top.
1: And um, do you, do you, or would you allow new or potential clients to speak with your existing clients if they require a personal client testimonial? Like if they just, they don't want to read what's on your website, they want to speak to someone and get their experience. No,
2: you're exactly right. Absolutely. To me as just a consumer and person, it would be a huge red flag if for, um, you know, a major considered purchase like this, I asked for a reference and and someone didn't provide it. So, um, I I would say absolutely and happily. And to me, I think it would even, you know, help me close the sale to the extent that you can uh, speak to a fast client.
1: And I think it's okay for anybody, um, for anyone listening, if you're like, well, I want to buy something, but I'm too scared to ask the person if they can, you know, set me up with a personal reference. Don't be afraid to ask. This is you know, you are the client and although you're going to an expert, you have the right to ask for what you want. You have the, ask to, the right to ask for um, questions that you don't know the answers to. If a person really wants your business, they're going to do everything to make you feel comfortable. They want you to be happy with the service you're buying or what you're buying because they want you to come back to them. So don't ever feel like you, you shouldn't ask that. Hell yeah, you should ask that. And I'm telling you that right now. <laughs>
2: Absolutely. So not only does I think, not only does that person want to make sure you're happy, if they're good at what they do and they have happy clients, I think they're going to be really excited to uh, to send you the, the reference. So there are, you know, to your point, many good reasons to to kind of ask if you're unsure.
1: What happens if a client comes to you and says, Kat, my friend Donna has this bracelet, blah, blah, blah. Can you make me the same thing? How does that work? Because Donna's is custom. So if Cameron wants it, she can't have what Donna has. So how does that work?
2: You know, there's sort of um, a ethical line within the jewelry space, particularly in the Diamond District, where there are some designs that I guess are, for lack of a better term, generic enough, where there is no ethical question of whether or not you can replicate that piece. Something that has more of like a designer's personal touch, it would feel like ripping them off. And the really talented people you want to work with, they're going to say, listen, like we need to adjust the design in some way. It's not cool to kind of completely rip off their design. So um, in terms of can it be done or would it be done by somebody reputable, it really depends on the actual design. From a jewelry's perspective, if he doesn't know Donna, uh, the person whose piece you admire, he, and again, it's not like a very, very unique design, he probably wouldn't have any problems replicating it or making it um I think it's more on the person who who wants the, the piece made to sort of communicate that to their friend or kind of decide to what extent should we change it a little bit or just use it as inspiration
1: okay okay fair enough last question what is the most important thing about what you do I think that the most important thing about what I do is you know I have
2: this belief that a thoughtfully selected piece of jewelry is really one of the most meaningful purchases you can make uh, to me if there's feeling and a story behind it, you know, a piece of fine jewelry isn't frivolous at all. So to the extent that you can um, sort of help people connect with their loved ones by taking a big swing and presenting them with a really thoughtful gift is just really, really exciting for me. But I think it's important that whether the piece is dainty or chunky, whatever it is, that there's some sort of meaning behind it. And I think that is what takes takes an object and, and sort of elevates it into something completely else.
1: And I just thought of one more thing. If someone has a piece of jewelry that is like a piece of estate jewelry from a family member and they're like, this was my grandma's and she was on the Titanic, you know, something like that. Right. And they're like, can we, can we recreate this? Or restore this. But in most cases, you're not restoring it. You're just recreating it. Is that something that you would do? You know, I would say one of the... Certainly the
2: fastest growing part of the business is people taking a piece from grandma that is very sentimental to them but doesn't really align with their style and resetting it or repurposing it into something new. Um, That has become really popular and... um, It's um, a really fun exercise to take something that means a lot to you, but just sits in your jewelry box and transform it into something that you can wear every day and think of that person. The big misconception or the thing to understand about that process, it's incredibly worthwhile and very meaningful. But I always ask my clients, you know, is this a sentimental piece? Because more often than not, it is more cost effective to source something new. Than to repurpose what you have, because there's all the custom labor involved, all of the new materials, the design work. Uh, so I think sometimes people will come in, well, I've already got the stones, how expensive can it be? And they sort of immediately have their guard up or, you know, or think we're overcharging them. But um, everything is custom when it comes to repurposing. So um, the big thing is um, just understanding that this is really more of a sentimental exercise than like a, an exercise in, in value.
1: Oh, I'm so glad I asked that question. And are you based in New York or is your clientele from all over the United States? So I live
2: in the suburbs and, uh, primarily partner with people in the diamond district. Um, but I work with clients all over. Uh, as I mentioned, I do, uh, zoom engagement ring appointments quite a bit. I'm just, you know, I'm easily able to, uh, to email you my recommendations. The business has grown primarily through word of mouth. So, you know, 80% of my clientele is typically in the New York, uh, tri-state area, but I'm finishing up an engagement ring for someone in, um, California, another client in Arizona. Um, so it's been really, it's such a special way to meet lots of different people. And, um, I think, uh, well, word of mouth is always going to be the best thing. Probably Instagram is that thing that can kind of, you know, uh, introduce you to people who otherwise couldn't find you.
1: Well, I can certainly appreciate that because my business is kind of the same. Where can people find you, Kat? Talk about your website, talk about your plans on the website. You know, if someone wants to reach you, where do they go to get a consultation? Where can we find you? Absolutely. So the website is bestkept.com, but probably the best place to to check
2: things out is at bestkeptjewelry on Instagram. It's really become sort of this living, breathing portfolio. Um, so you'll get to see many of the pieces that I'm working on or pieces that I've completed in the past. Um, I also like to come on stories and just sort of uh, show some of the fun behind the scenes, you know, scary staircases on 47th street, that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> And, um, yeah, in terms of, uh, where I hope things will go, um, you know, I'll be celebrating five years in business in just a couple months. And I think I'm more excited about what I do than I ever have been. So if there's something special that you've wanted for a really long time, but you just felt like you haven't been able to find it or you don't know where to start, you know, I hope you'll, you'll look me up and reach out. You can always email me at cat at best kept.com.
1: Cat at best kept.com. Cat with a K and that's as in best kept secret best cats. Okay, got it. Uh, Kat, thank you so much for coming on. I learned so much from talking to you. It was I, I really couldn't wait to talk to you because I was like, oh, she does what I do, but on like a much more luxurious level. So I thank you so much for coming on today, for sharing all your good, juicy, brilliant knowledge with us on the fine jewelry and custom jewelry side. Well, everybody, thank you for joining us today. I really hope that you got something from this and you know bring a friend tell a friend bring your auntie bring your boss whoever you want and you can check us out on apple itunes or wherever you find your favorite podcast right here wardrobe boss podcast thank you so much for rocking with us today i hope you have a great day and i hope you had some great takeaways wardrobe boss out
0: wardrobe boss is hosted and produced by eliza perilla executive producer ken johnson find the wardrobe boss podcast on apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast wardrobe boss is a mean o-line media production